0: I'm going to start today a, a series, how long I don't know for sure, on this book. I need to warn you up front that today's sermon is a very negative sermon. Now, the first part of the book of Jude deals with the dangers of the Christian life, and the second part deals with the defenses against the dangers of the Christian life. So you got to get the dangers first. I don't like to preach negative sermons. But Jude didn't like to write this letter either, and we'll see in just a minute. And if you want the positive part, you'll come back next Sunday. Listen to this amazing little book. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, and brother of James, to those who are the called, beloved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you, appealing that you contend earnestly to the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I desire... To remind you, though you know all things, once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. And angels, who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Yet in the same manner these men also by dreaming defile the flesh, and reject authority, and revile angelic majesties. But Michael, the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these men revile the things which they do not understand. And the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals, by these things they are destroyed. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, and for pay they have rushed headlong into the era of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These men are those who are hidden reefs in your love feast, when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, clouds without water, carried away by winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up in their own shame like foam, wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever." Now, although this little book of strange wordings is not as familiar to you as some other New Testament books, it is of extreme relevance. This book is as fresh as when the ink was on the parchment. Now, Jude, the brother of James and of Jesus, didn't really want to write this book. It didn't start out to be something he wrote, was going to write. In fact, he wanted to write about their common salvation. That would have been interesting to find out how the brother of Jesus was saved. But in the middle of a plan to write that little book about the common salvation, God laid on him an urgency to write warning concerning those who had crept in the back door of the fellowship and were threatening to knock them or uh, distract them from their common goal and their poise as a Christian. It's not easy to maintain your poise and your balance as a Christian. Perhaps some of you left the service last Sunday saying, now this week I'm going to maintain my balance. I'm going to get in sync with God and I'm going to follow through on my commitments. And the devil went to work on you and the enemy went to work on you and got you off balance and out of sync again. And you probably said, well, here we go again. It's not easy to live the Christian life. For we live in a world that's not at peace with God and is is so designed that everything about it appeals to the lower nature of mankind, the base nature of man. That's why it's so hard to live a Christian life. And that's why this epistle was written, to warn them of the subtle dangers that get us off balance and out of sync Now he wanted to write a more positive book and he wound up under the pressure of God's will to write this book and to warn of these subtle dangers. For we are surrounded by philosophies and attitudes and thought styles that are completely contradictory to everything we want to believe. I need to tell you that this danger he's talking about is not out there in the big bad world. He's talking about a danger that exists within the fellowship, within the church. In fact, he he talks about these men and describes them as reefs that lie lie underneath the water and threaten to shipwreck you. And they're much more subtle dangers. If I walked out on the street this morning, there was a man out there railing against God and denying Jesus Christ, I'd know how to deal with him. I'd know what the problem was there. But that's not what we're talking about here. These are not false teachers. Verse four makes that plain. This is not an apostasy of belief. It's an apostasy of behavior. And these people are not somewhere in some committee or some Sunday school class trying to get you to disbelieve in Christ and the God of Christ. These are people within the fellowship whose behavior denies him. And that's a much more subtle danger. Now he takes these three, he takes these dangers and he puts them into three categories. Notice them with me. First of all, there is the danger of irreverence. In verse 4, he calls them ungodly men. The better word for for that is the word irreverent men. People who have no honor for God or fear of Him. People who do not have a healthy fear of God or respect for Him. Irreverent. Now, he is talking about the kind of behavior that goes on in the church when we gather. And I need to say this Uh, tenderly and with compassion, how we act in this church when we come together for worship is a serious matter and to come in here with a blasé attitude of irreverence, whether it is with young people or adults, is a dangerous thing and he's talking about this lack of reverence for God but he's not just talking about the behavior that comes that happens when we come to church he's talking about in general a lack of fear of God and a lack of respect for him well you see you can come to church and do everything right and withhold an honor for God and he's talking about that lack of respect that's so common I see it on television, and I hear it in music, and I see it in the movies, this total disregard or lack of fear of God. And I'm convinced, it's my humble and accurate opinion, that what our country needs is a good old dose of the fear of God. Now he's not just talking about an irreverence for God. He's talking about an irreverence for the spirit world in itself. Now I want you to look at verse 9, strange verse. He says, but Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, the Lord will judge you. Now what in the world is he talking about? Well, he's drawing from what is called apocryphal literature. Now, let me tell you what apocryphal literature is. In 100 B.C. and 100 A.D., there was this body of religious literature called apocryphal literature. And it was deeply religious material and widely used by the church. And so they debated over whether or not it should be in the Bible, whether or not it should be canonized. And the materials that were not included in the the Bible are the canon. That's what the Bible is called. These books, although religious, are called apocryphal books. And they were used extensively by Jude. So much that when Clement of Alexander, one of the early church fathers, met with a great council at Nicaea, he said that we ought to include these apocryphal books in the Bible and later on Augustine because Jude used the apocryphal books said Jude didn't belong in the Bible so there was a great discussion about these religious books these apocryphal books and out of the book called the Assumption of Moses, there is this story he alludes to that when Moses died, the devil came and argued for his body. He said, the body of Moses belongs to me because Moses is a murderer. He killed the Egyptian. And Michael the archangel was there to protect the body of Moses for the resurrection. And he alludes to this. But the point he's making is this, that even Michael the archangel had such deep, fear and respect for this spirit world and the devil himself. He didn't deal with the devil. He didn't pronounce a judgment on him. He had fear and honor and respect for him. Now listen to me carefully. You're treading on dangerous ground when you deal with the spirit world. Don't you mess around with the occult. Don't you deal with astrology. Put it away. If you're practicing now, put it aside. You need a respect and a fear of the spirit world. Don't you mess around with the the macabre and the occult and the spirit world. That's dangerous business. Even Michael the archangel was afraid to do it. Not only did they have irreverence with regard to God and the spirit world, but with regard to humanity itself, with regard to the dignity and the sacredness of human life. And so he says, they have gone the way of Cain. Now listen to me carefully. We know what that's about. That's in the Bible. Cain was the first murderer in the Bible. Took a person's life. He's talking about the disregard the sacredness of human life. Did you know last year we killed by abortion 1.6 million babies? Are you aware of the fact that since Roe versus Wade 20 years ago, we've killed by abortion over 30 million babies in this country? I don't know how you feel about abortion. That's your problem. That's your business, not mine. I can tell you how the psalmist felt about the sacredness of human life. He said, God wove me together in my mother's womb and knew everything about my inward part. I can tell you how Jeremiah feels about abortion. He said, before God, God said to him, before you were ever born, I knew you, and I called you out of, my, out of your mother's womb. That's how he feels about it. More people were killed last year by abortion than were born. Where is it going to stop? A man by the name of Alfred Percy has written a book called The Thanatos Syndrome, It's a novel, really, a fictitious novel. Thanatos is the Greek word for death. And he imagines in the year 2000 that there is a case before the Supreme Court in which a decision is made that there is scientific evidence to prove the fact that a baby, a child, doesn't acquire personality until after he's at least 18 months old. So if you have a baby less than 18 months old, kill him if you want to. He's not a personality anyhow. When's he going to stop? You know what the biggest craze is now, the biggest problem going on in this country? It's what's called, crudely called, granny dumping. And it refers to these people who don't want to raise, who don't want to care for their elderly parents anymore. And they don't want to be responsible for sick elderly people anymore. So they take them to the emergency rooms of the hospital and they dump them and they leave without, without identification on them. Did you know this? That last year as many as 200,000 elderly people were dropped off in emergency rooms and the people who were responsible for them left without them knowing who they were, any insurance, anything about it, granny dumping. And who can forget the picture on the front page of that old man named Kingley suffering from Alzheimer's disease. And his daughter took him to a racetrack in Idaho and dumped him out in a wheelchair and went off and left him. took months to find out who the old man was. When's it going to stop? You say, well, I'm not a murderer, but I remind you of the words of Jesus. He said, if any man has contempt in his heart toward another, if he has rucka, And the word is a guttural sound, has a rough breathing mark in the Greek language to it. It means raka, and it's like the clearing of the throat. As a matter of fact, the word raka means spit. He said, if any of you has such contempt in his heart towards your fellow man that you would like to spit on them, you're guilty of the crime itself. Irreverence. Not only is there irreverence, the danger of irreverence, but there he says the danger of immorality. I told you it's going to be negative. The danger of immorality. Have I got a paid up contract here at least for another? Okay. <laughs> Verse 4 he says that these men have become, are licentious. Now that word licentious there is a word that means blatant, blatant immorality. It it refers to the total disregard of a restraint, a total absence of a moral standard, blatant, arrogant immorality. It's pleasure pursuit, that's what it said, hedonism. And it's represented by that bumper sticker I saw in the back of the car one day. It says, if it feels good, do it. I heard Ron Dunn say one time he's going to get an old clunker And if he ever saw one of those cars with a bumper sticker, if it feels good, do it. He said, I'm going to ram him from behind. And he said, when the guy gets out, he said, I'm going to say, well, you told me to do it. He said, when the cops come, I'm going to say, man, that felt good. I mean, that felt great. If it feels good, do it. It's to take the law of God and to throw it in his face. That's what he's talking about arrogantly. Within the church, he's saying, Within this body of believers, he's saying, they have taken the grace of God as an excuse for immorality. That's what he said. They've they've not only arrogantly violated the law of God with regard to a standard of morality, but they have excused it by saying, I'm saved by grace. Man, kind. How many of you this morning... Have treaded on the grace of God by saying well I mean I'm he's a God of grace and he'll forgive I am appalled at our opinion about morality I preached to over a thousand people this morning early service tremendous crowd in the early service and there'll be people watching me on television I'll preach to over a 1,000 people this morning, and that's not ministerial language. And I'm saying it with sadness. Out of that 1,000 people, there'll be men and women, husbands and wives who are guilty of immorality. And I'm looking into the faces of college students and high school students, I beg you, keep yourself pure. Gradually, like Barnas, frog in the kettle, We've seen so much of this filth that has become normal for us. That's what Charles Colson says. "said Oh, said, oh, for God forbid, we are normal. And gradually, little by little, we have boiled alive in our own immorality. I heard a man say not long ago, a counselor, that he was now in counseling with five ministers who were guilty of infidelity. There's finally the danger of insubordination, irreverence, immorality, insubordination. So he says in verse 4, let's go back and look at it, verse 4, he says, they deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ, but look at verse 8. He says, in the same manner these men also by dreaming defile the flesh reject authority and revile angelic majesties. Reject authority. They deny the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. One who who has absolute authority over our life. One who, who claims absolute ownership of our life. One to whom we have absolute accountability to give he said they just deny his lordship deny him as master deny him as owner I think some of you know that I have a whole house over in Fort Worth might sell it if anybody needs a house no that's a I have a house in Fort Worth that I lease it's an executive house a beautiful home and I've been out of there over 12 and a half years and somebody's lived in it every every, every month maybe two, two three months been wonderful about two years ago I had a guy in there he had a business he was a he was a very prosperous man he had a business in Fort Worth and his business went bankrupt so he started getting behind on his rent and I you know I I had to have a I had to have that myself so I was putting a little pressure on him and 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 he said well you know I'm in trouble financially He said I'll do the best I can I said great we're gonna work with you so we worked with went on for a year and finally the, the, he didn't get behind, he quit. <laughs> I mean, he just quit paying. And so I called him, and I, y'all told him, I said, hey, man, I, I hate to do this to you. I know you're having problems financially, but, man, I, I'm having problems too, and I need your help. I need you to either get in, you know, pay me, or get out. And so he started getting belligerent. He said, I can't pay you, and I'll pay you when I get ready. If I get some money, I'll pay you. He'd hang up on me. One day, Margaret called. That's really ticked me off. He called. She called him. He told her. He said, "I'm just decided I may not pay." He said, "I'm on five of bankruptcy." He said, "I I I probably won't leave this house." He said, "You can't get me out of here." And I'm thinking to myself, "I own this house, <laughs> and he's in there won't pay, and, and, and I can't get him out." did it makes sense. We live in this borrowed world. We breathe borrowed air. We live on, in a body that's on loan and we think we own it and we open up our pocketbooks and we take out money as though it were ours and it's been loaned to us and we act like it's ours. Give me a break. The very breath you breathe is on loan and if that, the book of Daniel is right, it comes out of his hand a breath at a time. And these people saying, God is not my owner. I'm I'm in charge of my own life. I'll do whatever I want to. No way. Now there are two things I need to say here quickly. It was rebellion against the person of authority. They said they denied Jesus as Lord and Master. Now they didn't deny Him as a historical person. No way. They believed Jesus lived on the earth and died. They believed that nor did they deny Him as their Savior. They sure wouldn't do that. They wouldn't say, well, now Jesus is going to take me to... They wouldn't do, he's not a, a Savior. They wouldn't say that. What they denied was the authority of His lordship and sovereignty. They were saying, in essence, He's not my Lord, He's my Savior, but He can't tell me what to do. He can't run my life. I'm in charge here. So a guy walked into the cockpit of an airliner last week, put a gun in there, said, take me to America. guy said, get out of here. You don't belong in here. But he did. He stayed. And about the same kind of thing, we stride into life and we take over the cockpit and the control room and tell God, take an exit. I'm in control. Not only is it a denial, a revolution against the person of authority, notice it's a, a, a rebellion against the place of appointment. Now I want you to look at verse 6 with me. He said, And angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper abode. They had a place of appointment. They said, we don't like it here. We, gonna, you know, we don't want this place. We want, we want something else. What's this. Watch this. And they rebelled against, they revolted against the place of their appointment but notice verse 16 he says they're like wandering stars they not only rebelled against the place of their appointment that is angels rebelling against their domain those stars rebelled against their orbit and got out of orbit and were flying across the sky like meteors you know what they're doing In this marvelous and graphic and exciting language, Jude is saying that mankind within the church doesn't like his place of appointment. It's kind of like Adam and Eve. Everything's going great in the garden. And God said to Adam, this is a Knox County translation, said, Adam and Eve, you make yourself at home here. But remember, I own the garden. And that tree over there, don't don't touch that tree. Remember Adam, remember Eve. You're creations of God. But you know what happened? They don't want to be creations of God. They want to be God. And they were not satisfied living in a paradise. They wanted to rule a paradise. You know what I'm saying? Does that sound like anybody you know? It's kind of like, it's kinda of like the prodigal son. And Helmut Kierkegaard, great German theologian, describe, he has a beautiful sermon called "The Waiting Father." And here's this. Here's the way it goes. He said that, that father and the, father and the son. You remember the prodigal parable? Prodigal son. They're they're talking, and and it's what the prodigal son. Father, I want to be independent. I want to be free. I can't go on listening to this everlasting "thou shalt" and "thou shalt nots." And the father replies, "My dear boy, do you really think you have no freedom? After all." You're the only child in the house. You can come to me any time you wish. You can tell me what anything and everything that troubles you. Many a person would be happy to have such a son's privilege. Isn't that freedom? Look, my whole kingdom belongs to you. I love you. I give you your daily bread. I forgive your trespasses with joy whenever you bring to me the burdens of your heart. You're quite free and subject to no one. Uh, You don't have to account to anybody except me. And yet you complain that you're not free. And the sun flares up and says, no, Father, to be honest with you, I don't give a hoot about all that. I can't stand this constant training. For me, freedom means to be able to do what I want to do. And the Father quietly replies, and for me, freedom means that you should become what you ought to be. He doesn't give up that easy. I want all this just once just let my body have its fling, one ecstasy. After all, a fellow who can't do that is not a real man. You know there'll be a million teenagers run away from home this year. You know why? They don't like their place. Appointed place. Like stars they've out of orbit We shoot across the sky wanting something else. And there are some people who want the privileges of freedom without the responsibility of citizenship. And there are some people who want the blessings of wealth without the burdens of work. And there are some people who want the advantages of an education without the acceptance of the discipline of study. And there's some people who want the pleasures of sex without the responsibility of marriage. And there's some of us who want the blessing of God without the responsibility of servanthood. We don't like our place. I want you to hear me. The secret of life is finding and accepting your orbit. I need to say it again. The secret of life is finding and accepting your place. Everybody has a place. I, uh, listen, I'm through. I, I went, yeah, I know it's time. You don't like the place either, evidently. You ready for? <laughs> I went one time, my watch quit. That was back when, before Quartz. I was like, yeah, I lived that way back. And I took my watch down to the, watchma- to the watchman, the jeweler, and he took the back of that watch off to check it out, and I was looking at it. And he said, and, and inside the back of that watch, you could see inside, there were all these little gears, these little things that, you know, moving around in there, little gears and things. He said you get one of these little gizmos out of sync. And it won't tell time. Uh, God is the watchmaker and life is based on a mechanical, on a orderly design, in an orderly design. And you get out of sync and the purpose of your life is lost. Are you in sync? Let's pray together. Dear Father, let now the Spirit of God have control of every second and everything, I pray in this moment, for I pray in Jesus' name. Some of you need to come this morning, look here. The purpose for your life, the orbit of your life is to glorify God. That's why you were born, is to glorify God. Young people, the reason of your existence is to honor Him and enjoy Him forever. Some of you need to come this morning and give your life to Jesus Christ. The reason He died was that you might find your blessed place and enjoy it. Some of you need to come this morning and join this fellowship. Up in the balcony, it's not far. Some of you need to come claiming the recommitment of your life to His Lordship. The rededication of your life to the Lordship of Christ. We're going to be praying for you, those of us who are leaders in this church, this wonderful staff of people here, these guys I work with. We're going to be praying that you'll come. While we stand to sing, we invite you.